I think there's another complexity where for those who grew up in the church, we were given this message of just getting married is going to resolve it. Mm-hmm. That'll so fix if it you all. just yeah. hold out, once you get married, once there's that certificate, then everything is going to be resolved. And so we actually have a Christian marriage sexual fantasy that we carry in us that we don't even realize that we have until it's not being realized. And so what happens is a couple early in their relationship starts to encounter some challenges around sexuality. They immediately internalize that message into what's wrong with us versus, oh, this really is complex and we may need some help and support to know how to navigate it. We, we don't show up in the bedroom on our honeymoon without some sort of message, some sort of history that we're bringing into that experience. And unacknowledged history is the history that creates the most chaos. Right. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to be back with you today with our host, Dr. Greg Miller. Thank you. Good to see you, Greg. And we have reached into the team here at Faithful and True and once again have Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty. Hello. Hello from the Faithful and True uh, team here. And uh, Chris and Elizabeth have agreed to join us today to talk about addictive sex in marriage. And so uh, that's going to be a hot topic for today. Absolutely. And kind of as an introduction, when men come to our workshop, there's a point where we have them fill out a um, questionnaire about their own sexual history and acting out. And one of the things that we identify in a list is addicted sex and marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the things that we get the most questions about. Um, For most of the guys who come to our workshops, they're not familiar with it. They maybe have never heard that term before. And so we just want to take some time clarifying what that is, how to identify it, and then what the implications of it are. And so um, we just want to start with kind of understanding what is addicted sex and marriage. How how would y'all define that to to begin with? Do you want to go, Chris? Sure. I think think at a basic level, addicted sex and marriage is engaging in uh, any sort of sexual contact, intercourse, what have you, uh, in a way that's when you're not, in a way that you're not present with the other person. You know, I, I'm, I'm engaged in the physical act, but my mind is somewhere else. I'm not connected with the person that I'm with. And, and so I think that at, at a basic level, I think that's what, that's how I would define a different mm-hmm. sex in marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would also say that it's not only I'm not present, I may also have a different agenda. That um, the way that we talk about sexuality is um, sexuality is intended for um, a couple when they are present with each other, they are present with God, they're um, present with themselves, and then in that sacred space they move towards each other sexually. And so we know that addiction is about trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way And so if I'm moving towards a sexual experience with my spouse for the purpose of trying to manage my anxiety 
or to have a sense of empowerment or to be rescued from insecurities or loneliness. I'm bringing another agenda to the sexual experience beyond intimacy, and I'm bringing that addiction energy to it. Mm -hmm. I I think often it can, yeah, along those same lines, lead to a sense of like taking, Mm -hmm. you know, taking taking from someone for the purpose of whatever that agenda is. Right. Um, Which I know often for the other person in that in that um, party can lead to a sense of feeling. Uh, used or objectified. Yeah. And one thing that we can just identify is this can go both ways. Mm -hmm. That um, a a wife may have an agenda around sexuality, um, especially we see this maybe earlier in recovery when there's some anxiety about the husband's commitment or loyalty. Um, There may even be a message that if I'm not sexual, he will not be able to maintain his sobriety. So suddenly the sexual experience is more about maintaining sobriety and maybe the husband is even telling his wife that, that if we're not sexual, I can't be sober. Mm -hmm. And so now there's this additional energy or agenda beyond just being present and intimate with each other. Right, Hmm. right. Yeah, and I think think along those lines that we maybe get a little hung up sometimes on on the, the, the wording, addicted sex in marriage. I mean, really, it's, I think what we're talking about here is any sort of, anytime we're engaged uh, in the sexual experience with someone else uh, and it's being used, that experience is being used for something other than which, for which it was intended. Mm-hmm. One thing I would also say is the complexity of sexuality is God created in such a way that it was intended to be a holistic experience. That it's about who we are physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and even in the context of who we are sexually. The challenge, though, is the way that sexuality comes online, the first thing that typically comes online is who we are physically. And so we go through puberty, we start experiencing sexuality as a physical experience, and yet we don't at that point have the capacity to engage it relationally or spiritually or emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, they kind of stay in this adolescent space sexually believing it's just about a physical experience. Now, obviously, the physical part of it is very important. God created it so that it's pleasurable. God is the one who designed our bodies so that we can have pleasure and orgasms. And yet it's so much more than that. And so another way that we may experience it, it may simply be a very limited understanding of what sexuality is. And we've reduced it just to a physical experience and not fully engaging all that it can intend. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm curious, uh, Greg and Chris, if you guys could talk to um, women I work with sometimes, it seems like there's a couple different ways that this can show up. For For some of the wives that I work with, there has been a lot of feeling objectified in, in their sexual relationship, a lot of feeling used, um, just being an object. Um, the husband, you know, asking for needing sex a lot of times, and the wife feeling like, I need to do that in order to um, keep him happy. Right. But, um, well, and something that complicates it is, and some of them have been told, it's their wifely duty. Mm-hmm. And so there's this obligation. And one of the things that we know is anytime we are motivated by obligation, it doesn't lead to intimacy. It typically leads to bitterness and resentment. Right. Mm-hmm. The other uh, camp that I hear from sometimes is that there really was a lack of um, sexual expression in their relationship. You know, that there really wasn't. The wife really wanted, she felt like she was available um, for that, and yet there, there, there wasn't sex in the relationship. And so I want to maybe speak to that a little bit too of um, 
How can you both kind of explain that or what for the women out there that are maybe thinking, well, we didn't we didn't even have sex. We didn't have that in our relationship. And so what did addicted sex look like then? And so let's start with kind of the the first situation where a husband is bringing a great deal of his energy to the marriage around sexuality. There's almost that compulsivity to it. Uh, Maybe there is that addiction. Um, And I think when someone isn't present with us, once we start growing in an awareness, we can begin to identify that. And so for some women, part of the resentment they have is they are accurately interpreting, I'm simply an object here. I'm simply being used for some other agenda. You know, one of the questions that we get from men is, how do I know that I've been doing it from an addictive place? It, it even takes them a while to begin to identify it. But kind of like as Chris said, is if my mind is someplace else, if I'm thinking about somebody else or I'm thinking about another experience, I can't be present if mentally I'm not present. Mm-hmm. Again, that idea of sex is being a holistic experience. So part of it is um, allowing each person to check in with where they are as far as their needs, their desires, their availability. Um, I often say in order for there to be intimacy, specifically sexual sexual intimacy, everybody gets their yes and everybody gets their no. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody doesn't believe they are safe to have a no Mm -hmm. in the sexual experience or in a sexual invitation, then there's not going to be the intimacy as God intended. And so if a husband has contributed to the wife not believing she has a voice, if he's manipulated, if he's used scripture misappropriately Mm -hmm. to try to control her, um, we know that that's not the way that God intended. And so I think one of the things that is helpful is for couples to be able to identify if there has been kind of a history of some unhealthy patterns in their sexuality. Um, it's important that they become intentional to get, get those out or, or remove those. And I also want to just say it's not simplistic. It's not it was always like this or it was never like this. Um, I know of couples where they could have significant and meaningful experiences sexually and there was sometimes this additional energy yes. that the wife could identify, even if the husband couldn't. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you would add to that, Chris, before we talk about kind of sexual anorexia? I think uh, around the, the everyone has a yes and everyone has a no. And then also that you're, that you're able to talk, talk or communicate through those yeses and nos. Uh, I think that it gets back to that holistic piece of the sexual relationship is that it's 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 communicative mm-hmm. and and you're you're engaged with one another um, exploring you know what 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 what's on limits what's off limits what's comfortable for you what's comfortable what's not comfortable for you et cetera and so just the the communication aspect of that well and one of the great aspects of sexuality if it's about intimacy, then there must be safety. You know, mm-hmm. the way I talk about intimacy, intimacy is when we are known, we are safe, and we are connected. And sexual intimacy is when I'm known, I'm safe, and I'm connected in some sort of sexual context. And so for a lot of people, it's not been safe. Mm-hmm. And what can also be true is they brought a sense of not being safe into their marriage. Um, for a lot of people who grew up in the church, they might have gotten a variety of different messages about it that they personalized and that their desires were bad, that their experiences were bad. And so now they have a a lot of shame. And this kind of gets us to the idea of sexual anorexia. 
Um, I work with a lot of men who were very prolific in their acting out and seemed to very, be very, re, you know, restricted in being intimate and sexual in their relationship. And as we kind of dug into that, there's this old core belief that who they are sexually is toxic or polluted dirty, or wrong, dirty. Yeah. And ironically, they wanted to protect their spouse from their dirtiness or their um, the fact that they are so toxic in this. Mm-hmm. And so the great confusion is they loved their wife so much, they didn't want to pollute her, mm-hmm. so they didn't move towards her sexually. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, uh, it's going to take some effort, some energy, some intentionality, some healing to begin to um, heal those old lies of shame that are being brought into the sexual experience whether the the man is aware to, aware of it or not. I think a big a key part of that is that it's important to point out I think that it's that's it's that's his issue mm-hmm. not her issue. Mm-hmm. Right? And I would imagine Elizabeth that for many of the wives it, it maybe seems like well what's what's wrong with me? There's something right. he's not attracted to me, he doesn't want me. I'm not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what Greg's identifying there is more of a it's more of an issue for the the husband around shame and around what what he's bringing into the into the marriage into the relationship. Well, and it can I think it can go both ways, Elizabeth. You probably can speak to this, but for a lot of women, because of the messages they've been given, they may have shame about their sexual desire. And one of the things that can be true is the desire for sexuality is there, the desire for intimacy is there, but their shame seems to shut it down. And and this can also be true for men. But if we've had difficult, painful, chaotic experiences in adolescence or childhood around sexuality, and now we have shame just because we desire sex, that shame keeps us from being present with that desire and being able to express the desire to our spouse. And so I think, like you were saying, Chris, it's important that we don't personalize a lot of this and recognize, I, you know, the thing I say to men all the time is you are choosable even if nobody is choosing you because God created you to be choosable. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this case, you are desirable even if nobody is desiring you because God created you to be desirable. Mm-hmm. That is the truth of my identity. Mm-hmm. So if I start from that place, then I have a, a different lens or a new context to understand if my spouse does seem to be hesitant or resistant to sexuality. Um, how does this show up in your office when you're working with women, Elizabeth? I think it's just interesting to try to understand, you know, from a wife's perspective of what it feels like on either side of that spectrum, right? Because I think you're right. I think if there has been a, a lack of sex or there it, there has been kind of that sexual anorexia, the, the messages, the beliefs that they can have of I must not be desirable, I'm not enough. And I think just the, the amount of pain and grieving that can bring up on that end. But then also the other, the other is true, right? That for the women who have... Um, felt used or objectified. I mean, the incredible pain in that too, that I feel like I've just been, I have to prance around in my lingerie and it's just, it, you know, it just feels like they're just an object, mm-hmm. a piece of meat. And so I think just understanding the, the confusion, the messages, the pain on either side of those extremes and what the whys behind mm-hmm. some of that, I think the depersonalization is such a huge piece you're both talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, but just trying to understand how either side can be pretty painful. I was just having a conversation with one of the guys I work with, and I think the reality is sexuality is complex. Even under the best of circumstances coming from a, a situation that could be the healthiest possible, there is just a complexity to it because it begins with vulnerability. 
And so when that starts to get distorted, then it's going to impact the entire experience because in order to be vulnerable, I need to feel safe. And if I don't feel safe at the very beginning, it's going to limit my vulnerability. And then that's going to send a bunch of messages, create chaos, create a lot of confusion around the idea of just being sexual. I think there's another complexity where for those who grew up in the church, we were given this message of just getting married is going to resolve it. Mm-hmm. That'll so fix if you it just yeah. hold out, once you get married, once there's that certificate, then everything is going to be resolved. And so we actually have a Christian marriage sexual fantasy that we carry in us that we don't even realize that we have until it's not being realized. And so what happens is a couple early in their relationship starts to encounter some challenges around sexuality. They immediately internalize that message into what's wrong with us Mm -hmm. versus, oh, this really is complex and we may need some help and support to know how to navigate it. Mm We, we don't show up in the bedroom on our honeymoon without some sort of message, some sort of history that we're bringing into that experience. And unacknowledged history is the history that creates the most chaos. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was just, just working with a client earlier today and looking back at, at some notes, and uh, it was the, the honeymoon experience was, was uh, characterized as the, as the worst experience of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it has a lot to do with what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening to us or watching us that would say that for them true, yeah, it's for pretty them, common. that is true for themselves, that the honeymoon was disappointing. It wasn't what I was expecting. Um, I want to just validate that is a message that we hear pretty consistently. Absolutely. And I don't think it's unique to the population that we work with. I just think the population that we work with, many times they are the ones that have the most courage to be honest about what those early experiences were um, and the fact that we did need some help and support and we didn't know how to get it or we didn't know how to ask for it or we were too ashamed to ask for it because we we begin to make it about our coupleship and who we were we might have even begun to make it about our love do we love each other and then it creates create so much destruction in the unspoken things that we're not acknowledging in our relationship One one thing I would also add to this idea of addicted sex and marriage is that it's going to take a willingness to talk about it in safe ways with each other. One thing that can also be true is once a wife finds out about a husband's acting out, it makes perfect sense for a season she may need to have distance from sexuality. Um, She's going to need some time to recalibrate, to heal, to reconsider. And so for some husbands, it gets really confusing because maybe for the first time he's starting to recognize what healthy sexuality and intimacy is. He's being honest and open. And now his wife, who was available and interested prior to discovery, now seems distant. And I just want to validate that makes perfect sense, that a wife may need some space from sexuality for a while in order to experience some healing and to be able to reclaim some safety for herself. Mm, I like that you mentioned that word safety there. And and kind of back to what Chris was saying earlier, too, about being able to be present. And I think so often up front for the wives, because of the confusion, because of the trauma, um, because of the fear, I think if they are engaging pretty quickly sexually, it's hard to stay present because your mind can be wondering, what's he thinking about? Is he really here with me? What? What has he seen before? It, 
and again, it's just, are, is she really able to stay present? You know, Mm -hmm. is she really feeling safe in that moment to be able to stay attuned to him and can just take time to build that foundation? And, and I don't know if this is y'all's experience when you're working with couples, but what can also happen is because sexuality is an emotional experience, a couple is working recovery, they're connecting, things are going well, and they have a sexual experience. And then all of a sudden, the wife is connected to profound grief and loss yes. and pain. Yes. And it's maybe disorienting that, hey, we just had this intimate experience, and yet this is what is surfacing. And I just want to validate that makes perfect sense because you just had an intimate experience. Sex is an emotional experience. And so sometimes what gets triggered are those authentic, real emotions that are needing a a venue to be able to escape and be expressed. Mm -hmm. And the sexual experience may be that place that they surface. The catalyst for that. Yeah. And we just need to be a safe presence with our spouse if that's part of what is happening in the sexual experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And supported to to make sure that we have the support networks that we need and we can talk about those those experiences because they're common and they do come. Um, But so we can just talk openly and honestly about our our experiences and and as we begin to reintegrate sexually, which could be a whole different topic or an extension of this topic, uh, but just to be supported and normalize those experiences Mm -hmm. because they will come. Yeah, I think you both have mentioned this, but I think there's something about just this is this is a complex topic. Mm -hmm. And even just being able to be curious. um, I know a lot of our process was just being curious about what did we both bring into the marriage around uh, messages around sexuality? Mm -hmm. You know, what what were my messages around um, uh, my worth and value when it comes to sexuality or needing to be sexual or um, that being... um, you know, a, a way to secure a, a man or something mm-hmm. like that. And I think just for you too, just understand what some of those messages are. And so it can be such important steps, I think, around this of what, what are those messages? Well, one, one thing I would also say is for the man who has been acting out sexually, he is familiar with addiction energy, whether he's ever talked about it or identified it before. So when he's acting out sexually using the language that we use here at Faithful and True, his survivor man knows how to be sexual. And that may be the energy that's driving his sexuality. But when he starts working at becoming a wise man, wise man sexuality may not be familiar to him. Mm -hmm. And so it may be challenging for him to figure out what does it look like, not for an adolescent boy or not for a survivor man, before a wise man to move towards and acknowledge his sexual needs and desires. And the desire for intimacy can be a part of the conversation also. Um, One thing I would say is, as I talk to men, I I identify four things that contribute to our sexual energy. And one of them is just biology. God created us to be physiologically sexual. We have the biology, we have the biomechanics, we have the hormones, we have the uh, neurochemistry to be sexual. And that's going to be something that ebbs and flows based upon what's going on with us physically. If we're tired, if we're exhausted, if we're aging, um, whatever it may be, we need to be attuned to who we are physically in the area of sexuality. Um, Another thing that I think provides sexual energy is just curiosity. Um, It's this idea of, I wonder what it would be like to... And there's nothing wrong with curiosity. You know, you, you hear me say this a lot. Curiosity is a part of who God created us to be. 
And it's part of what makes it possible for us to explore God, to be curious about God when God is so, um, at times, not tangible, but we still have this longing to understand God. Um, another part of that energy, though, is the addi addiction energy, that attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And then the final energy is the energy to connect with someone else in intimacy. Mm. And so what happens is when we talk about having sexual energy, it's important for us to understand, is this driven by some sort of biological issue? Is it driven by some curiosity? Or is it driven by that addiction energy? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, when they start getting that addiction energy, um, what they begin to realize is they actually do have less drive and less drive is actually more healthy. And so part of it is recognizing, I can't just talk about, do I have sex drive or not? I need to understand what is providing the sexual energy and then what is my resistance to the sexual energy. And as a couple is able to have that conversation in safe ways, I believe they can start to make um, change and movement forward. Mm. Yeah, I like that. It's a good, yeah. good lens to think through in terms of where, what's driving this, where, what's the motivation mm -hmm. behind this. Okay. Well, we're going to continue this conversation. So um, what, in our next podcast, we're going to be talking about what it is to have healthy intimacy sexually and what that looks like. Um, in, a, in a healthy coupleship and partnership. Great. Terrific. So if we could possibly convince you to hang on, <laughs> we might stick around. Stay, stay with us. Think about it. We'll, yeah. we'll have a, a podcast part two. Uh, to our listeners and viewers, we thank you very much for joining us on the Faithful and True podcast today. Uh, we've enjoyed sharing this message with you, and we appreciate Chris and Elizabeth's time today. Uh, if you're a man that is out there and you are experiencing sexual behaviors that are unwanted or uncontrollable, uh, we invite you to visit our website, faithfulandtrue.com, where you'll find many resources that you'll find very helpful, as well as all of the information about our monthly Men's Journey Workshop. We offer this on a monthly basis, and uh, we, we approach all of these issues that uh, Greg and Chris and Elizabeth are talking about, and they are uh, they're examined closely, and you'll leave with not only a clearer understanding about the issues that you deal with, but uh, kind of a, a renewed sense of hope. So uh, until we join you again for part two of this podcast, we hope that this coming week is going to be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and with great vision.